Something they say? Yes, that shouldn't have... Oh, right, yes, that's the noise the randomizer makes when it picks an episode from a two-part story. Let's see... Oh, okay, well, our destination is Moonbase Alpha for part one of The Bringers of Wonder. So, welcome back to Space 1999 Series 2 on the Randomizer. <laughs> that's, that's the sound that uh, most people associate with this show. But anyway, I am quite happy to get here today. Uh, this is, I believe, the third time we have a, a two-parter on the, the Randomizer. Oh, I, d I don't like that. That tiny little model of the eagle wiggling around there. Anyway, Commander Koenig is out in an eagle, and he's being a bit silly. And uh, yes, as I said, I'm, I'm quite happy to see this one come up to today, because this was my very first exposure to the series. Uh, I should stress, not via this uh, two-parter, but by the uh, Destination Moonbase Alpha compilation movie, which my I think my mum rented for me from the library... Uh, on VHS, Do you read? probably about three years before I saw the rest of the uh, the show on BBC. Yes, it was on the VHS tape, the the blue, I think it was a Polygram or ITC videotape with the picture of uh, Tony and Alan on the front. Yeah, Koenig has completely flipped his lid. Everyone in Command Centre is very worried about this. And I do like what they're doing to make it feel like he's banking and diving and soaring. There's a loose helmet rolling around on the floor, which I guess is just a stagehand picking it up and throwing it back into shot every so often. But it, again, it's a, a lovely touch that makes this feel so real. And yes, very excited to see this come up today. And uh, in fact, I specifically did not Too low. Hit one of the domes. watch the uh, Get out of there. That's lethal. Come and join. expanded version of Destination Moonbase Alpha on the new Super Space Theatre Blu-ray set, because I knew that this was coming up, and uh, I wanted to watch it with you guys. So I hope you appreciate the sacrifices that I make for you. Whee! I like that. <laughs> yeah, so Koenig is um, Take over that eagle by remote. acting very childish. Unit to the launch area. Crashing at full to launch area. And he's ended up near yet another nuclear waste disposal area that we've never mentioned before and we'll never see again. If he hits one of those domes, he could cause a nuclear explosion. No, that will need a specific stimulation with atomic fuel. But this is a Jerry Anderson show. It could happen. He's going to crash. Yeah, especially if he's going to crash. Take a couple of nuclear physicists with you, just in case. Alec, Barbara. Yeah, take those guys who've been hanging around Command Center for seemingly no reason, uh, pretending that they're stars of the show, but uh, they're just guest stars for this week. Oh, I think I saw a, uh, a fishing line on the uh, the helmet there. Yes, it's stopped rolling now. And here we go. Oh, he's clipped a dome. He seems to be himself again now. Crashed right into a very big rock. And that's it. He's down. Is he all right? Well, everyone in the command center is very worried, despite the fact that this is, what, his 15th eagle crash? You know, by this point, he must be doing it every other day, and yet the command center personnel are doing a, a very good job looking uh, upset and concerned. Even the extras are really giving it their all. Luckily, Koenig has got his helmet on, because it's a very serious crash. Lots of fire and such all over the place. Ooh. And that's a very, uh, that's a very good teaser. We come back to a, an even more exciting uh, rescue sequence, although it, it does beg the question, and it's um, 
one of those questions that I think is up there with the one in the last sunset. Oh, why does a moon base have windows that open? And in that one, you can say, uh, there, there's a reason. Here, they've just opened the doors to space, the rescue team. A, I hoped they checked somehow to make sure that Koenig was still alive. And B, why did that not instantly put all these fires out? But, having said all that, it does make for a rather spectacular opening as these uh, guys in fire suits kind of stumble around the place. It does, for once, feel like an eagle crash is a, a serious, potentially fatal situation rather than just, you know, something you can uh, do three of before breakfast and walk away without any... Oh. Is this the shot where... Yeah, one of the, the guys putting out the fire, his um, his spray hose, the, the, the nozzle comes off the end of the hose, or... I don't know, it might have been that shot and I might have missed it. Anyway. 1,512 days since leaving Earth orbit. Dr. Helena Russell recorded... Carter and Ehrlich, one of the uh, n nuclear waste um, guys, is pulling, uh, or taking Koenig to safety. Nice shot of a crashed eagle. And there's a chap with a camera on the scene. This is Clive Kander of the Records Unit. Never mentioned before, or never be mentioned again. Well, after this two-parter. I've got it all on film. What's the radiation count? Negative. All clear. Hmm. Well, that's clearly meant to be um, Bartlett who said, Negative. All clear. But he's played by Jeremy Young, so... Uh, yeah, Jeremy Young does not have that voice. But this, um, going back to the, the first time I saw this in the, the compilation, Destination Moonbase Alpha, not only does that compilation do a really good job of establishing the setup for the series, which you know does come into play later on in the, the story in, in more than one way, it also establishes the world of Alpha and, and these characters really well, I find. So, yeah, watching this as a kid, I had no trouble, really, keeping up with who was who and what was what. It was uh, an instantly immersive world that uh, I really wanted to spend more time in. And it, it didn't bother me that the introduction to the film had uh, characters from the first season and, and main mission and all that. It just didn't twig with me that uh, this might be the second series of a, of a show. To be honest, I'm not even sure I, I realised that it was a show until several years later. Feeds it back into the brain. Anyway, Koenig is now installed in the medical centre. Electronic. And they're giving him a brain massage. Electronic. It is still experimental. Hmm. Then you don't know the side effects. Oh, it'll be fine. Is it worth the risk? If I don't take the risk. Oh, and we used to have so much brain damage on this show. First season, you couldn't move for brain damage. Now, we're very low on brain damage in Series 2, so we've got to try and get some of that going. I don't know. Plugging him into an experimental computer seems to uh, potentially be a way to do the trick. Come on, Maya. There's lots of high-tech equipment and uh, stuff bolted to his head. Various monitors and such. And what's going on in command center? It's too far away to tell. Ma? Sensors pick up configuration of a spaceship. Ooh. Range? 90,210,000 miles. Heading? Directly at us. Well, that happens quite often around here. Nothing to get concerned about. Center. Helena, how long before I can talk to John? 15 minutes at the earliest. He's linked to that brain complex, Tony. 
I don't dare break the sequence. I love the reaction on Tony's face, though. It's like, oh, yeah, that uh, that head injury and that highly experimental brain thingy that you told me about, oh, less than five minutes ago. Spacecraft almost an hour to reach Alpha. Tony, range 40 million miles. It's impossible. That means it's exceeding the speed of light. 32 million miles. Oh. So this is an interesting development. Although... I'm sure that there must have been other faster-than-light spaceships in 1999 before. Radiation leak. The nuclear waste area is stable. Yeah, it's going to stay that way too for centuries. I love the way Ehrlich and Bartlett just march into command centre and start sitting around and leaning on things as if, yes, we are regular characters. You are interested in what we have to say, being fellow regulars yourselves. That is a super swift. No, it can't be. It is. <sighs> but it is, I tell you. Super swift. Super swift never got off the drawing board. No, not before we left Earth. Things have changed. Physics hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. That thing is travelling faster than the speed of light. Well, remember now, Nick Tate has been seen going faster than the speed of light, so... Oh, it's a very pretty effect, though. Sure, and hell looks like the drawings are super swift. It seems like human technology to me. It could be from Earth. Mm. Well, thank you for your opinions. Now, whatever that thing is out there, let's not get sentimental about it. Well, I'm feeling a bit sentimental about it, actually, because I like that they've uh, named it Super Swift in what I guess must be an acknowledgement of the Swift from Brian the Blaine... Uh, Brian the Blaine? Brian the Brain. Uh, yeah, I, I like that it's implied this is a development of that craft. Again, I suppose the closest the second series really gets to those various doomed probe missions that you would hear about in the first series of the Ultra Probe and the Meta Probe and the... Uh, several other probes. I want to say Uranus Probe, but I'm not sure if that's real or not. Oh, I, yeah, what was the one that um, Helena's husband went, went missing on? Anyway, who cares? Because the Super Swift has landed. Despite all requests to the contrary. Identify yourself. Repeat, identify. Who could be on board? Tony, they're trying to come through. <gasps> Stuart Damon. Of the Champions and General Hospital fame. It's Guido. Oh, it's Guido. Hi, a little brother. Um, yes. Returning to the series. It's my brother, Guido. Stuart Damon, having played uh, an Eagle pilot in a uh, first series episode, Matter of Life and Death, which I think he gets a couple of lines and then gets zapped and spends the rest of the time in Medical Center. So this is a much meatier role for him, and uh, this is a nice, a nice scene as the occupants of the. Super Swift make their way via travel tube to the reception area. We have a lot of Alphans there to greet them. And this is one thing that I, um, although it's, you know, mostly extras that we've seen before. Guido. Oh, that's it. Tony. Guido. Tony. So many people from Earth. They've finally come to bring them home. Yeah, I like, because this is a two-parter, and this is something I'll discuss a bit as we go through this one, the fact that because it's a two-parter, we have more money to spend. So... We can actually have this huge, really huge um, guest cast for this story. Peter, darling. That's it. Sandra's reunited with her uh, fiance, Peter. Helen is reunited with Dr. Shaw. Tony's reunited with his brother, Guido. Uh, Alan is reunited with a friend. Ehrlich is reunited with um, a possible brother or... I hate to have to tell you. I, I don't know. He looks a bit like William Gaunt. Been 100 yards. <laughs> How's your handicap? <laughs> Again, another reason why I, I instantly accepted back in the day that this had to be a main character because I, I didn't know any different. Yeah, it's, it's something I really like with this one because we have more money to throw at, at 
a two-part story we're getting something here that looks a bit uh, looks and feels a bit more like the first season Tell me where I could find Dr. Ben Vincent ah yes this is uh, Ben Vincent's girlfriend is this right? no oh his daughter Alan making a bit of a fool of himself here no you're his grandmother no Oh boy, I guess that only means you're going to tell me what I'm afraid you're going to tell me. Yes. I'm going to kick you in the nuts. Go away. Oh, well. Anyway, that was a nice bit of banter, I suppose. Well done, sport. Wonderful. Al Lampert, of course, as Alan's friend there, was in uh, Star Wars. Without your coaching, it was difficult. Telling off Darth Vader near the uh, beginning of the first film. And Ben's reunited with, this is Louisa. Listen, I got, I got a lot of stiff tendons all around here, you know? And I do find, although it's, um, it's, you know, there is a reason given later in the story as to why, I would have liked it had that door opened and in comes a friend of Victor Bergman and a friend of Paul Morrow, a friend of Uma, or you know, someone who wasn't on the show anymore. A little while. You've all naturally got thousands. But doesn't Command Centre look so full of people? Things back on Earth. How are things yeah, back on the, Earth? The time it took us and to get... It, to be honest, it does make the, the set look very cramped. Um, I imagine it would have been quite difficult to shoot all this and actually get decent shots. Now look, just give us a minute or two to get our breath back. We're keeping to herself on the sidelines. Everything you want to know. Maya. Everybody, thank you very Not instantly looking to join in. And again, it's another one of these... Come on, I'll introduce you. ...moments that Catherine Schell, and the show really does so well. My brother, Guido. ...of um, Maya feeling like an alien, always feeling like an outsider among humans. Older brother. And his smart brother, and his handsome brother. In every other way, he's a poor second. And another thing I really like about this one is the most of these characters, these um, people who've arrived on the Super Swift, the ones who are connected to our main characters, by and large, are really great characters and really well performed. And Stuart Damon is just top of the pile. You really believe him as Tony's brother. Helena, this is Peter Rockwell. Hello, how are you? He's one of the Tomorrow People. We were going to get married when my tour of duty on Alpha ended. I've heard a lot about you. Specifically, Helena, do you think it's all right if I um, forget all about him and go off and have a, a relationship with Paul? You always did take that view. Hmm. You knew each other before? Dr. Shaw was my tutor at medical college. He taught me everything there is to know about being a doctor. It took him 20 seconds. What do you do, Guido? He's a cab driver. I would also find it slightly funny, but uh, also a bit poignant, if somebody came to command centre, someone we know, and nobody was there for them, you know. Where, where are Yasko's friends? Where's Yasko? Yasko just at the door with uh, with tears in her eyes, because nobody came to see her. Oh my, he hasn't got the faintest idea what he's talking about. Oh. Yeah, it was Reinhardt who made the breakthrough at Cambridge. Cambridge, England. Ooh. Massachusetts. It means we can travel anywhere in the universe now. The journey back to Earth is just a bus ride in Earth time. Yes. We're just the scouting. That was Bartlett having a bit of a. Borders will be along soon, and then it's goodbye moon for everyone. Ooh. Yes, Bartlett having a bit of a uh, disagreement there with. Um, I can't remember what his name is. Oh, Professor Hunter, I think that character's name is. He doesn't have much to do in this. Oh, Mama. But this is good. And I want to believe that this happened. You a mound of pasta the size of Vesuvius. <laughs> and the sauce. I know, I know. Everything in it but holy water. I believe these two as brothers instantly. When the news broke that we'd blown out. Three days of weeping. And then two weeks of phoning the White House to demand action. And this is how I, I really could believe it all going down back on Earth. They decided simply not to believe it. The scientists were talking out of their navel as usual. It was simply a matter of time. And 
Papa. He went quiet. And he got thin. Yeah, sure. I love the way Tony asks, um, how did she take it when the news broke? As if everyone on Earth wouldn't have felt the moon being blown out of orbit. But, uh, again, it's a nice nod to the origins of the series, which, of course, Tony wasn't around for. Now, Professor Hunter and... Peter and where did you meet? Uh, leaving command center as if in a trance. You look a little lost. Can I help you? And here's this lady. Perhaps later. Who's been wandering command center with a uh, a hungry look in her eye and a uh, a rather revealing. Well. She's been looking for John ever since she got here. She knew him before I did. Does that give her territorial rights? Well. A friend for Coney. Hannah Morris. She's like the 5th Cavalry, wherever she plants her flag is home. And again, Diana Morris is another nice character, but unfortunately... Helena, darling. She's let down by being dubbed. This is not the actress uh, Toby Robbins' voice. Toby Robbins actually did appear quite recently on The Protectors on The Randomizer. Um, it been terrible here. Oh, Ceremony for the Dead, which wasn't that long ago. Awfully wearing. But this is not her real voice. I suspect this is an actress named Nikki Van Der Zyl. How long is it that you've been... Uh... Who was um, did a lot of voices for the Bond films. She was a lot of Bond girl voices. Still, there's something to be said for a marooned society. It does limit men's choices. And the women's opportunities. I've always made my own opportunities. Mm. There are some of us who still prefer them to come to us. Oh. Hey, Clive, you always with the camera, huh? Is there anything you don't get on tape? This is for the record. Hello, Clive. Well-established, loyal character and friend to everybody on the base. Clive? Oh, what's that? You won't get to be in the picture. And Clive's played by Nick Hobbs, who was a, a stuntman on uh, a lots, lots of shows in this period. Uh, in fact, he, I think he was in Space Warp playing a security guard, and I'm sure he appears again in an episode after this. Oh, was it the Seance Spectre? I remember seeing him with a a, a, a silly moustache on his face in order to disguise the fact that he'd been featured in this story so prominently. Yeah, I think Seance Spectre, he's wearing a, a, a moustache. There are depths to him that I'm sure you never found out about. Anyway, we'll later see him on fire. At once, where is he? At the moment, he is linked to an Ellendorf quadrographic brain complex. Oh, very wise of you, darling. Ooh, wow. I like that Diana is uh, a friend that Helena knows as well, not just Koenig. Meanwhile, in Medical Center, Koenig is, uh, well, he's, you know, he's getting there, you know, being treated on. And uh, here's a, a medical technician, Sandstrom, just leaving Medical Center. And um, I want to say that this guy playing Sandstrom, I have a feeling if this isn't his only role, his CV isn't that long, which is a shame because I really like this his performance in this episode. He's now being taken over by uh, Professor Hunter and Peter Rockwell, walking off in a trance, and he will spend the rest of the episode basically under the control of the aliens, um, being summoned to do various uh, bits of dirty work for them here and there, and... Um, generally being beaten up for his trouble so i kind of i kind of feel an instant sympathy for this guy because he's just a guy who works in the medical center and he's probably a nice guy but he gets treated so badly throughout all of this but what are they going to get him to do 
Well, all this brain stuff looks a bit complicated. How about we just uh, just start switching all that off? This is a medical monitor. These are strategically placed so that from anywhere on Alpha we can keep a check on our patients. Uh, no, they're not. Rational setup. It's a good idea to have a medical monitor in in command centre, but nobody has ever done this before or since. A nice cosy spot. And here we get the first real visible sense of. Uh, these people not quite being what they seem, as Koenig is writhing and squirming on the screen, and Ben is kind of aware of it, but also... And Louisa looks at him. And Jeffrey Kassoon is doing some very good boggle-eyed acting here. Convinces him to turn the monitor off. I wonder if you wouldn't mind, Ben. I have some very important questions that I want to put to Louisa. You know, about the shape of things back on Earth, the configuration of the modern female... Oh, Alan, are you still not done? He's just taking her out of the room, which of course means I'm dying. Ben can come out from under her spell. Can I see him? Turn the monitor back on and Lying. <laughs> I love this. I think I don't think this music was used uh, anywhere else in the series. This is the Ben Vincent to the rescue theme. For a fairly um a fairly intense and well choreographed fight between him and uh, Sandstrom in the medical center. Oh, that's it. Ben straight with a fist into Sandstrom's stomach, throwing him against the wall. And uh, I get the sense from this fight. Firstly, it's nice to see Ben Vincent fighting to save Koenig. This is normally the sort of thing Tony or Alan would get to do. But I also get the sense, watching this fight, Ben Vincent does not fight fair. Granted, Sandstrom is um, you know under alien control, so he's not exactly playing fair either. But Ben you know, is all about punching him in the stomach and I think he ends up does he end up strangling him at the end still good old Ben Helena is in pursuit by the way but uh, considering she was almost right on his heels when he left command centre it's taking her a bit of a while to get here but yep Ben has strangled Sandstrom to the floor Sandstrom was trying to kill Cody oh no if only we had somebody on duty here at all times who could keep an eye on this sort of thing I guess that could be Sandstrom, but... He's all right. The cycle's completed. If it had happened earlier... Oh, no. So Kenning's going to be all right. And here comes one of my favourite lines. Like what up? Coming from Sandstrom here. Not so much lines, it's it's the way he says it. Wait a minute, Ben. Kill Koenig. Ben, now just take it easy. Kill Koenig! I have to kill Koenig! Kill Koenig! I have to kill Koenig! Kill his drawer! All right. I saw a boom mic in uh, in the shot there. So, they've knocked out Sandstrom. Yeah, I, I, li I like this actor. <laughs> what about fashions? What's everybody wear? Oh, well, look at us. It's um, either a lot or nothing. A lot of tinfoil. Tend to be a little lower. Hmm. Skirts tend to be a little higher. Oh, back to Maya. Now, where do you think you're going? I don't want to disturb everybody. You couldn't disturb anybody. Now, come And this is something the series touches on several times during the second series. Maya, Maya's feelings of being like an outsider, and even among the regular Alphans. Hey, Greedo, what I want to know is what kind of propulsion you use to boost you past the speed of light. It's a development of the ion rocket. Yeah, she can never be 100% sure that she's going to be completely welcome because things like this might happen. Now, I let that line play. Um, about the the development of the ion rocket. Love, you're because when I first, well, no, no, when I saw this episode again on BBC, BBC Two, they they showed 
uh, two parts together as a, a compilation. For some reason, I did something that I did sometimes during this period. I would turn on the subtitles to uh, was it was it CFAX um, number eight eight eight. That won't mean anything to. Uh, to anybody outside of the the UK, but I turned on the subtitles for this episode, and it was obvious that the uh, guy doing the subtitles didn't quite understand what what he was dealing with here. Um, so instead of saying it's a development of the Ion Rocket I O N, the subtitles said it's a development of the Ion Rocket I R O N. Now, I suppose technically you could say. Um, yeah, light speed is the development of the iron rocket, but that's like saying it's a development of steam power. And there's one more um, misspelt caption that I can remember from that broadcast, and I will mention it later on. What happened to the command on eagle? See, this is what you don't get from other podcasts: pointless remembrances of misspelt subtitles. Um, if you're interested, I do remember one from uh, an episode of Deep Space Nine, where Chief O'Brien says to a, a turbo lift. Runabout Pad C, and the subtitles came up with, "What about Pad C?" As if, yeah, that's a that's a valid suggestion. Anyway, I'm now completely digressing, but it's okay because Koenig is, uh, yeah, I think he's nearly back with us. How do you feel? You tell me. You look great to me. No. You're fine. Get this off your head and you'll be flying eagles uh, well, before the end of the day. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's, let's get this off of you. Come on. It's a nice bit of headgear, that uh, brain yeah. complex thing. It looks a bit like a, almost like a Cyberman bit of headgear. Eagle tab. Totaled. Well, I really did a number on it. John, what happened? Everyone must have seen what happened. Rocket malfunction. I love that Koenig assumes that everyone must have been watching his flight. I gather it was uh, just meant to be a routine flight. He was monitoring some level of radiation or something. Well, that's what it was, wasn't it? He doesn't remember anything about... The station crew found no evidence of rocket malfunction. Flipping out and uh, imagining himself as a little kid or something, whatever it was he was up to. That means pilot error. That's terrific. Oh, I don't need another pilot error notification on my record. I've only got 20, 25. What does it matter? A rescue expedition has landed here on Alpha from Earth. They came in a Super Swift. Super Swift. And I do like the fact that Helena is absolutely on board because she's got no reason not to be. And I like, I really like Martin Landau's gradual acceptance of this. At first he thinks it's a joke. Sans fiancé, Peter. Sans fiancé. And Professor Hunter. And Jeffrey Kassoon is stuck in the middle just sort of reacting to their reactions. Diana Morris. Diana Morris. Hmm. Now, Helena, please don't even joke about that barracuda. And a nice use of the music as well, because she's not joking. Only you're not joking. No, she really means it. You really mean it? She does. You mean they somehow something worked? Yes. You mean they got it licked? <laughs> They're really here? Yes. How we can get back to Earth? And I think this is why I, I look at this as a really good introduction to the series through Destination Moonbase Alpha is um, th their reactions to this news, it all feels so genuine, all of this, even th despite the fact that we've got characters that we've never seen before all over the place, the actors are treating it as, as real and I believe these 
these people and these personalities. I do wonder how well this would have gone down had they done it in the first season because we met at the jazz ballet group at MIT. The, the the focus in the second series was more on the characters and the relationships the interplay i feel that is one of the the most successful elements of the season so i don't know how this would have played in in year one anyway koenig is now in command center and we're now going to get some wonderful panicked acting from martin landau john also one of my favorite bits of music being matched to a particular scene. I love the way this this music from Space Warp fits this scene. Because Koenig is not seeing the visitors from Earth, he's seeing aliens everywhere. Big, immobile, one-eyed blobs of green jelly. Stay back, don't come near me. Which he's apparently scared of. What's the matter, John? Lots of close-ups on his eyes, which are very effective. And I've got to say, I... I think I've, I've, I've covered this before. I was a bit of a wuss as a kid, still am. What's the matter with you? So when I read the back of the box, um, Koenig sees hideous, terrifying aliens. I was like, oh. And then when these things came He's on. He's erratic as he was up in the eagle. I've never really known what to make of these things. I think. John, they're friends. On the one hand, no, they're not scary. On the other hand. Your friends are. They are very imaginative. Quite disgusting. I mean, in HD, you see that green slime pouring down the obviously plastic eye of the monster just calm down so yeah they are all right listen to me detailed and not scary at least to me i think also it's just they're so weird it kind of works in their favor the fact that it's not an obvious guy in a costume it's not that same monster costume that we've seen a million times before and, and since or which in fact does turn up again in this story these things are so, so out of the norm. So on the whole, I tend to give them the nod because you're just not expecting something that weird. And I understand that a lot of people would find them a bit funny. Certainly, I'm sure they've been taken, uh, taken the Mickey out of, taken out of context on various TV shows and such. But for for fans of the series. I don't know, what are your feelings on these monsters? Do you feel they work? Hey, clear, Tony. Or, I'm going to say generally they work. Because the fact that they are immobile blobs, it's kind of established in dialogue later on that they don't expend a lot of physical energy. So, you know, why would they be moving around? There's a million questions it brings up about, you know... When we're seeing the alien blob standing there doing nothing, someone else is actually seeing them, you know, moving and being all active and such. I also like the idea that uh, each of these aliens is pretending to be. I've put them in restraint. You know, it's it's not just that the Alphans are, are perceiving them in this way. You could read into it that the the alien blobs, one of them is, for instance, pretending to be Diana Morris and saying things and being all. Uh, all sort of um, do something provocative and catty. Anyway, we talked over, but I'm sure you pieced it together anyway. Yes, Koenig had a bit of a freak out in command center. Those had to be stunned. What are they? What do they want? Oh. Listen to me. Those are people out there from Earth. Now you know some of them. They've come to take us home. They're not people. Are you blind? But here's something I'm not entirely sure works. You see what you've got out there! Koenig being absolutely hysterical. I can understand that reaction in the, you know, the first time he sees them. Oh, there it is. There's another one. Dr. Shaw, alien, is uh, out of here. is in the building. Get out of here! 
Yeah. It's not. It's not very. Well, I was going to say it's not very in character for Koenig, but sometimes, you know, he did completely flip out and run around the base in his pajamas, shrieking. The last man I would have expected to flip out. So, but you know, even so, it's kind of. To get out of here! I've got no. He wouldn't react this psychotically. If it was that important, he would say, "Right, listen. This is what I'm seeing. I don't know what what you're you're seeing, but this is what I see. Potential serious problem here." And I only mention it really because in the second half, that's exactly how he does behave. But because we're 15 minutes from the end of the episode, we can't have him get to that point yet. So he has to be hysterical. He has to be sedated. Anyway, if you didn't let Ben Vincent out of your range, Koning would be dead now. Oh. He interfered. Alan. He escaped the eagle crash. Randy old Alan. So it's if it wasn't for Alan's randiness and, and Ben Vincent, the aliens would be well on their way to uh, to victory by now. He is a strong leader. I do like that it's... <laughs> if it wasn't for that pesky Ben Vincent, of all people... He's in position. Our plans would have worked. Anyway, while the alien ladies continue to woo people in command center... There is resistance. Guido Videshi and... Helped. Dr. Shaw. That's right, Dr. Shaw. I, can't, I wanted to say Professor Hunter. This is Dr. Shaw. Yes, they're keeping an eye on Clive Candor in the record center. Yes, Clive Candor is reviewing photos that he took earlier, or photos and film. And he's feeling a bit of a... Something going on at his temple. He's rubbing his face. While the two aliens watch. And I believe um, composer Derek Wadsworth once said this was his favourite piece of music that he composed for the series. He used to put this on and chase his children around the house pretending to be a monster. Which is rather fun. He sounds like a fun dad to have, uh, to have had. And what's on this tape? Whoa! There's a video of some aliens. And Clive wasn't expecting that. Tries to leave. Can't get out the door. So just break the door control. Yes. They now seem to have Clive under their control. And he's going to go and release some uh, oxygen from an oxygen cylinder, which of course he has in uh, in the record centre. But you can see from the way he's, he's wafting it into his face, he believes that it's uh, water of some kind. But who is this passing by who has noticed what's going on? Noticing that Clive is uh, flipping out. Well, it's regular extra Glenda Allen. Maya, we've got trouble in the records lab. And they've given her a line. It's Again, it's not her voice. I think that's Nikki Vanderzil again. But it's nice that they gave um, an extra. And she, although she was regularly seen in... in um, Command Center and, and elsewhere on Alpha through the second series. She was also in the first series. Only about three or four episodes. But I like, though, that because the aliens are both concentrating on candor, they couldn't do anything to stop Glenda Allen from getting to the compost. Because, you know, first Ben Vincent, now Glenda Allen. They're being thwarted by... Well, they will be thwarted by Yasko any minute now. But, yeah. There's a full rescue team now outside to... Uh, Help get Kander out. He's trashing the place. What's Alan going to do to... Oh, he's going to... He's going to use his laser. The emergency oxygen supply. He's got it full on. He'll the whole place to pieces. Oh, I see. Oh, I won't do that then. I love that suggestion from Alan. That would have been spectacularly misjudged from him. 
But um, you know, to be fair, Maya's not uh, not come up with a better plan. Getting in through the air vent. It's a good plan. Oh, here comes our other misspelt caption. She's a metamorph. She's a metamorph. Became on the BBC transmission. She's a manamorph. M a double n a morph. I don't know. I, I don't even want to know what their uh, thinking was there. Anyway, Maya's in, turned into a monster. Candace panicked, fallen back against the door, and opened it. Kaboom! There he is, stumbling out on fire. Luckily, Maya in the monster costume is all right. And I love... Whoa, there it is. You can see Nick Tate bracing for the second blast from the records room. But even when it comes... It still looks very dangerous, and he in particular is very close to that second blast. Anyway, our guys are inside to put out the fire, and how's... He's dead. Oh, I was going to say, how's Clive? Well, he's dead, yes. Um, not to worry, Nick Hobbs will be back in the Seance Spectre, I think. Tony, I'm sorry about this tragedy you just had. Oh, what are we going to do without Clive? Not Clive. But we're rapidly getting out of the range of Earth. And if we're going to get you all home, we have to address ourselves to the problem. Mm. There's a pilot ship that'll go back first. There'd be room for three people on it. If there's anyone you'd like to suggest... Me? I would have sent Clive. You'd get to it as soon as possible. Yeah, come on. Yeah, okay. So, everyone's gotten over the death of Clive very quickly. We've apparently printed out the names of everyone on Alpha, presumably minus Clive, and put them into a little box. Who are we going to draw out first? We've got three people who can go back to Earth. Let's see who we uh, who we draw first. It's Stoner, but under alien control. Stoner reads... Ehrlich. Hey, good old Ehrlich, who's been hanging around Command Center, pretending to be one of the main cast. Uh, played by Drew Henley, of course, from uh, Star Wars and many other things. Number two, McCarthy. Bartlett. Bartlett. Ah. And Sandra gives him a little hug. Aww. So that's the other nuclear waste guy. And number three is... All Day. Or... Carter. Yay. You did us! Fantastic! Hey, That's nice. So Carter and his chums... <laughs> well, they're, they're celebrating. They're hugging each other over a console and the three actors are, can't quite reach each other over it. So one of them just knocked it. <laughs> they bumped into it as they uh, were celebrating there. Do I seem rational to you? Yes. Fine. Now, will you believe that... <laughs> oh, aliens! Oh, blah, blah, blah. I don't see what you see. Oh. What do you see? Something hideous. Mm -hmm. Something ugly and horrendous and hostile and deadly. Yes, uh... Lunatic factor rising. To me, please listen to We're me. now at sort of level two, creeping up to three. Look, please let me get out of here! <sighs> Don't you find it very strange that all the personnel on the rescue ship are people you know? They're all volunteers, John. They specifically asked to come. I do like that, um, you know, that element of the, the explanation. It kind of... It kind of has a built-in explanation, the alien's plan. Whatever Koenig comes up with here can be countered instantly by Tony. To see who'd go first. Yes. That Ehrlich, Bartlett, and Alan were the winners. The three men chosen are members of the radioactive monitoring team. Isn't that strange? I mean, when have we ever had a radioactive monitoring team? Names. What's the matter with you? Can't you see you're being manipulated? 
Although I can really accept when when stuff like that comes along and it's mentioned for one episode, never mentioned again. Blind! Things like Sanderson's exploration teams and so on. Hey, all systems are go here. What's the holdup, Alpha? Because it is a big base. There's lots of stuff going on. Why couldn't we have radioactive monitoring teams? Gives Alan something to do. The pilot ship is ready for liftoff. Tony, don't. Don't let him go. Helena, don't let them go. Don't, don't, no, don't let him go. Oh, that's it. Switched him off. Had enough of that. Oh, so. Koenig's out of it again. And Tony's given up and gone back to command centre. The absolutely heaving command centre. Again, all the aliens are present. We also have Glenda Allen again and uh, Jenny Cresswell as the Super Swift deploys its tiddly-tiny uh, pilot ship. And everyone's very happy about it. And I I do like the the look of the Super Swift. I like that it, it does fit the, the lineage of the Eagle. I'm not mad about the look of the pilot ship. It's a bit... it's a bit diddy. I don't really understand the... Uh, you know, although this is an illusion that the aliens are creating. I don't quite understand what they are making the Alphans think the ship can do in terms of uh, getting them back to Earth, because it doesn't seem to have much in the way of anything. Anyway, I love that shot, though, of um, all the aliens gathered around on the lunar surface. And um, Dr. Shaw has been to see Sandstrom, who is, yeah, also tied down in another room in the medical centre. I guess everyone just forgot about him, except the aliens. They are now going to use him again. Or Sandstrom can get out of the straps and go and wreak more havoc. There it is. Uh, I gotta tell the guys back on Alpha about this. Hey, you guys. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful! And although they're not members of the regular cast, I do really like Drew Henley and Jeremy Young in this. I find them really believable uh, as, as not only as Alphans, but established members of Alpha's hierarchy. Yeah. And here's Sandstrom. Oh. Introducing his fist to Tony's stomach. Tony is down. And this is a very cool move. I love that move from Catherine Shell where she just, she kicks him out of the way and then waves a little stick over her head and suddenly she's a kendo warrior. But really, it's just another excuse for someone to beat Sandstrom into unconsciousness. I would love to know what happened to this guy after the events of this episode. Because I, d I don't think he's in part two. Again, some just wonderful boggle-eyed acting from the guy who plays him. Although it does feel rather like, we need an action scene to end part one. So, I mean, again, very well choreographed and uh, rather intense. That's Sandstrom down. And here comes Tony. Ever alert Tony, rising to the rescue. Are you all right? Oh, terrific. What the hell happened? I hit him with my stick. Again, it's, it's a nice line. I don't quite know why she's holding a Perspex stick, nor how it transforms, but uh, no time for that now, because Koenig is about to have a visit from Dr. Shaw, the alien. Oh, and there he is. And, yeah, this is our cliffhanger for this episode, and I like, actually, how effective this is. It isn't immediately clear what they're trying to do, other than it's just, ah, monster approaching Koenig, um, about to do something. But what I really like, what I find is very effective, is there's no sort of big ba 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 cliffhanger music as such. We just get that noise. And it is a nice, horrible, gruesome, effective noise. 
plus Koenig's um, squeals. Just that horrible noise, and then... Sudden cut to silence with the words, end of part one. Because that's it for part one of The Bringers of Wonder. We will be back next week to find out how on earth Commander Koenig gets out of that one. Yes, my thoughts on that episode are, as I said, it was the first one I ever saw, so I've got a bit of a soft spot for it, even though that was on Destination. But I really like how more expansive and expensive this uh, first episode feels. Lots of lovely character stuff for not only the regulars, but some of the guest characters as well. So a very strong uh, first episode for Space 1999's only two-parter. We'll see if they can keep up the quality next week. 